Have you been a personal recipient of the miracles of God lately? I tell you what, uh, just the fact that you are alive this morning, that is an answer to prayer. <laughs> Whether or not you uttered that prayer, your body was uttering that prayer. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, we are told that in Him we live and move and have our very existence. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God upholds all things by the power of His Word. The fact that the sun is hanging in the sky today, that's by the Word of God. The fact that you and I are sitting up in our chairs this morning, that is by the Word of God. Have you experienced the miracles of God this week? Amen. <laughs> Amen. I want to get into the Word this morning. Before we do, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we know that we are constantly receiving of your grace and of your mercy. And God, whether or not we have intentionally turned to you, we know that our heart longing is just as the flowers turn to the sun. Our heart longing is to turn to the Son of God. And so right now, we, we recognize and are confessing our simple need for life. The Bible tells us that he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. And so, Father, we're just reaching out for Jesus right now. We ask and pray that as we reach out to the Word, you would give us not just information, but that you would give us the Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Please, Father, send us your Holy Spirit. May this, may this written Word become the living Word, and may we truly be transformed and sanctified through it. We thank you so much, Father, for the ways that you are faithful to do that. You have been faithful to do that in the past, and we know you're going to be faithful to do it right now because we're praying and seeking in Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen. All right, friends, we're going to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Luke is the third gospel of the New Testament, Luke chapter 10. And I tell you what, I'm still thinking about that children's story, Dora. <laughs> After uh, the month long of Prophecies of Hope, I there were times <laughs> where it was hard to get out of bed, but praise the Lord that we are up this morning. Luke chapter 10, I, I believe that experience will come back to us in just a little bit. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. By the way, before we even get into this study, uh, how many of you have been thankful for the beautiful weather? Amen. Yeah, seriously. I, California is amazing. <laughs> I was just reflecting on the fact that, you know, two years ago when I moved to Michigan, uh, it was November 1. That was the first snowfall. <laughs> oh, boy. And I'm thankful to be in California. Oh, goodness. Amen. You know, actually, uh, just a couple days ago, yesterday, in fact, uh, we just got back from Pacific Union College, my alma mater, uh, up there. If you've never been there, Napa Valley, beautiful area. We drove up there Thursday, got to speak for uh, the theology majors, the theology and religion majors there at PUC. And um, praise the Lord that there is a growing bunch of students there who are training. You may know one of them. His name is Sam Smith. Amen. So he sends his greetings and his love. He misses you all. And I told him that we missed him too. I hope I wasn't lying. Anyways. All right. So we're here in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you're there, say amen. All right. So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. This will be our focus passage for the morning. We don't have a presentation outline, but if you have paper, feel free to write notes as we go along. But Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, it's obviously, this is at the tail end of Luke chapter 10. 
In Luke 10, if you were just to kind of scan through Luke 10, actually, if you were to scan through starting at the end of Luke 9, what you'll notice is there's a running theme of how to follow and serve Jesus. At the end of Luke 9, there are a couple people who want to follow after Jesus, and Jesus is saying, look, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you really want to follow me, there's a commitment involved. And in Luke chapter 10, it goes on, this commitment is about serving. This commitment is about being a laborer in the harvest. Jesus actually sends out 70, not just the 12 disciples, but he sends out 70 followers to go and preach and teach and heal. They come back rejoicing. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The kingdom of darkness is being shaken by the fact that you are serving and following me. Really powerful stuff when you start thinking about this. And so throughout Luke 10, there's this theme of following Jesus, particularly as it relates to how we serve Jesus, of how we witness for Jesus, and even of how we share the love of Jesus. You remember there's that very, very simple parable. Maybe it's familiar to many of us. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? In Luke chapter 10, this is uh, verses 25 to 37, just scanning through a little bit of the context here. And Jesus is posed a question. There's, a, there's someone who's asking Jesus, uh, what's the greatest commandment, you know? And, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. And, and Jesus is trying to work with this individual and, and, and he asks this question, well, well what about uh, loving your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this parable of the good Samaritan. This is how you share the love of Jesus when you're really following him, when you're really serving him. And then at the end of all of this theme on serving Jesus, then comes this story that we're going to focus on today. The message this morning is entitled, The One Thing We Need. Let's start reading the story. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, I'm reading from the New King James, and the Bible says, Now it happened, as they went that he entered a certain village. Okay, we're, we're obviously, we're in this context, we're speaking of Jesus and his disciples. They're traveling along, they're entering a certain village, and the rest of verse 38 says, and a certain woman named, what's the next word in your Bible? Martha welcomed him into whose house? Her house. Okay, follow this along. There's a woman named Martha. She's mentioned by name. And she welcomes Jesus and 12 strapping young men into her home for a meal. What can you tell about Martha so far? <laughs> this woman can throw it down in the kitchen, apparently. All right? <laughs> this woman has so much confidence in her ability that she says, Hey, yeah, come on in. It's a huge old party. Come on in. Instant party right there in her living room. Martha is the kind of lady you want to be around. All right? Martha is someone who can get things done, and I know several of our Marthas in this church family praise the Lord for, for those gifted hands. Amen. Now, the Bible also tells us that this is her house. This is her house, which means something for that culture, first century A.D., for a woman to own her own household. She is self-sufficient, which is surprising in that, in that day and age means that, that she is the head of her own household. She is self-sufficient. Okay, so we're just kind of building a character sketch here. Jesus is someone, though he is itinerant, though he is off here, off there, he is never too busy to come to your home. Did you know that? Jesus is never too, too, too busy in his to-do list. He's never so task-oriented 
that he does not want to come and sit a while. And here Jesus is, comes to Martha's home, and the rest of the story continues. Verse 39, the Bible says, And she, that is Martha, had a sister called, what's her name? Mary, who also did what? Sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. All right, so we're introduced to a second character in this story. We have Martha, who is a can-do type of woman. We have Martha, who is so able and, and confident that she is able to receive people. She has the gift of hospitality. And then we have her sister, Mary. And what we're told about Mary is that she sits at the feet of Jesus and listens. In other words, Mary is taking the posture of his disciples. This is the posture of a disciple to a rabbi. This is the, the common lingo for first century AD. Whenever there were rabbis who had little pupils with them, the pupils would sit at the feet of the teacher and listen. And so Mary is actually following suit. Mary is actually considering herself a disciple of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus. It says, verse 39, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now here's where the plot thickens, verse 40. But Martha, okay, so now you, you notice there's a tension here. But Martha was, my Bible says distracted. What does your Bible say? cumbered. Okay, okay. This is very interesting because the word in Greek is perispao. Peri is a word that means around. Maybe you've uh, been around the perimeter of your property, okay? Or Mary, maybe, maybe you are familiar with this. Uh, uh, oh man, what am I trying to say? <laughs> per periscope, all these kinds of uh, prefixes, peri are, is talking about around. Now, spao it actually, it's the Greek word from which we get spasm. Okay, so Mary is, excuse me, Martha is actually spazzing out right around now, okay? She is spazzing, she's being drawn about, she's cumbered about. It's, it's as if she's being lassoed by her, her tension. But what is it that she's being lassoed by? What is it that she is being cumbered about by? Verse 40, very interesting. But Martha was distracted with much, what's the next word in your Bible? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've just been reading about serving Jesus all throughout Luke chapter 10. If you've been reading through Luke chapter 10, you know. It, we, we've just been looking at how, how we can serve Jesus, how we can do things for Jesus, how we can witness for him, how we can labor in his harvest, how we can share the love of Jesus like the Good Samaritan. And here's Martha who is actually cumbered by her serving distracted with much serving. The Greek word for serving is diakonos, from which we get deacon. It's ministry. Other times it's translated as ministry. She is distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to, what are the next two words in your Bible? Serve how? To serve alone. This is, this is I, I hope, hopefully by now we're, we're starting to paint the picture here. Martha is serving her guts out, but she is cumbered by it, spazzing out. <laughs> she is distracted by her service to the extent that she is serving alone. When in reality, ministry ought to be the times when we feel closest to Jesus. What's going on here? 
Martha is serving alone. In fact, she, she's so bold to, to approach Jesus in this way. I'm not quite sure what kind of tone of voice she had going on here, right? Do you not care? Do you not care? The very last time, the, the only other time, I should say, the only other time someone poses this question to Jesus, do you not care? It's in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. The disciples are bailing water out of their boat in a stormy sea, and Jesus is in the back sleeping, and they say, Lord! Do you not care that we are perishing? Those disciples in that boat, they felt like they were the only ones interested in their salvation. They felt like they were the only ones that had a care in the world about their survival. Do you not care? It's assuming that Jesus has no clue what you're going through. It's assuming that you're your own savior and Jesus has no, no ability there. And Martha is asking the same exact question. Don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care? So Martha was distracted with much serving. She approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her. Tell her to help me. I'm not quite sure how the story went that day. You know, I'm not quite sure what it was that, that triggered in Martha's mind that she was actually serving alone. Maybe she's, you know, peeling the garlic or whatever it is. Maybe she's chopping potatoes or getting the stew ready. Hey, Martha, I need another spoon. Hey, Martha, can you throw me a, a few more cloves of garlic? Hey, Martha. She's looking around, <laughs> looking for another set of hands. And when she goes to that living room, there's Mary. I'm sorry, I've been mixing up the names this whole time. You're following with me. Hey, Mary, where are you? She follows, and, and there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Do you not care, Jesus, that I'm serving all by myself? How many of us can at some level, or have at some level, ever resonated with Martha's question? Yeah. You feel like you're doing this, and you're doing that, and you're putting yourself out for this ministry and that ministry, trying to sacrifice for this, labor for that, but really in the end you feel like you're serving alone. And here Jesus deals with the tantrum. <laughs> and what kind of tone of voice do you think Jesus comes back with? Is it one that says, uh-uh, <laughs> don't you tell? No, how does, how does Jesus do it? Verse 41, notice what Jesus says. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. Again, you know, we're, we're not given uh, instructions as to what kind of decibel level to read this with. But I imagine Jesus' voice comes back with compassion and not retaliation. I imagine Jesus' voice comes back with a repetition to try to catch her attention. Martha, Martha, two times. It's called in Greek a, a double vocative, a double address. Two, only two other times in Scripture where Jesus himself uses a double vocative. And it's all in the writings of Luke, by the way. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says to Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has tried to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. Do you hear the compassion in Jesus' voice as he's talking to Simon? Simon, Simon, you think you're on the right track. You're trying to vie for greatness in an earthly kingdom. Simon, Simon, I've been praying for you. The other time that Jesus says a name twice is to Saul, who eventually became Paul. 
in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Saul thinks he's doing the will of God. He thinks he's going down to Damascus to do exactly what God himself would do, and that would be to bind those who are declaring this name of Christ. Saul thinks he's doing the will of God, and God gets his attention. Jesus gets his attention and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Both times, God uses this double vocative to catch people's attention who are seeking to do the will of God in the right, excuse me, seeking to do the right thing, but in the wrong way. Martha, Martha, are you seeking to do the right thing in the wrong way? Verse 41 says, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about, what are the last two words in your verse there? About many things, many things. We, we kind of touched on this a little bit last week, right? When you try to have multiple leaders and you're playing follow the leader, it's really a hard game to play. You've got to have a single focus, a single focus. And Jesus says, you're worried and troubled about many things, a whole spectrum of things. And then in verse 42, he lays down this very simple reality. And he says, but ten things are necessary for you. But 28 things are needed. Let me read it again. <laughs> but one thing is needed. One thing is needed. This is huge. Jesus is saying one thing is necessary. Vital, absolutely needful for your survival and mine. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Friends, do you know the reality of the one thing we need? Maybe some of us are thinking to ourselves, wait, 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 Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> I think you're being a little bit over, uh, oversimplistic about this, right? Because there are a lot of things I need. There are a lot of things we need. But Jesus says, one thing? One thing. Apparently, this is a reality that Jesus has found throughout Scripture. In fact, in Psalm 27, verse 4, maybe we can look that up together. Go ahead and uh, put a bookmark or a finger in Luke chapter 10. Go to Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm is about halfway through the Bible. Psalm 27. When you found Psalm 27, verse 4, go ahead and say, I'm there. Okay. Psalm 27, verse 4. This is a song. It's written by David himself, King David, the man that 1 Samuel says that was a man after God's own heart. And in Psalm 27, verse 4, notice what he picks up. He says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. How many things did David really, really seek after, according to this verse? One thing. One thing. He had a single focus, a laser vision. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. And what was that one thing? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, this is a king that's talking. 
He's got multitudes and multitudes of responsibilities and priorities. His to-do list is probably longer than yours and mine combined. He's got an agenda. He's got things to take care of. He's got people to look after. And he says, look, really, there's only one thing I want. (laughs) And that's to be in God's house. That's to be in the presence of God so I can behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. He's talking about a personal connection with the God of heaven. He's talking about communion with the Lord of the universe. And that's the one thing he wants. And Jesus, when he's talking to Martha, is saying, look, Martha, you are trying to do service for me, and you're trying to do it without me. You're trying to make a meal for me when really you need a meal from me. Is it possible that in our service, we would be distracted from communion with God. Let me read you something that I came across several years ago. And it, uh, it rocked me then, and it still rocks me now. <laughs> this is from a little book that I, uh, I, I think it's really, really practical stuff. It's education, and pages 260 to 261. It's a long statement here, long paragraph, but it's power-packed. And so here it goes. Ready? An intensity such as never before was seen is taking possession of the world. Now, this was written probably in the late 1800s, early 1900s. An intensity such as never before was seen is is taking possession of the world. I'm not sure what kind of intensity was going on in society around that time, but apparently it was going to snowball. In amusement, in money-making, in the contest for power, in the very struggle for existence, there is a terrible force that engrosses body, mind, and soul. In the midst of this maddening rush, wow, how many of us know what that is? In the midst of this maddening rush, God is speaking. He bids us come apart and commune with him. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46, 10. Many, oh, whoa, okay, notice this one, all right. Many, even in their seasons of devotion, that means in their quiet times, in their personal time with God, Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They are in too great haste. Do you know what that's like? Haste means hurry. They're in too great haste. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher, and with their burdens, (laughs) they return to their work. These workers can never attain the highest success until they learn the secret of their strength. They must give themselves time to think, to pray, to wait upon God for a renewal of physical, mental, and spiritual power. They need the uplifting influence of his spirit. Receiving this, they will be quickened by fresh life. That means brought to life. They will be quickened by fresh life. The wearied frame and tired brain will be refreshed. The burdened heart will be lightened. How many of us long for that? Oh, man. Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Christ. To sit down in companionship with him. This is our need. Straight up. (laughs) What is the one thing we need? Not just a moment in Christ's presence, but personal contact with him. If that's truly our need, maybe we can ask a heart-searching question at this point. When was the last time 
we had our need satisfied. Not hurrying through the circle of Christ's loving presence. Oh, how many times has that happened, right? Dear God, thank you for this morning. I've got to go. So many things to do, so many things to be. How can I do this? When in reality, the one thing we need, the one thing we need, is personal contact with Christ. The way Jesus is speaking here in in Luke chapter 10, verse 42, he's he's not saying that time with me like doing what Mary is doing, sitting at my feet and hearing my word. He's not saying that that is a, an option. He's not saying that that is something that is more valuable than others among many things. He's not saying that this is a preference that maybe some have or the spiritual elite have. You know, this is not, no, no, no. He's saying it's the one thing we need. He's talking about it in terms of need. In, in terms of need. I don't know how, how much more to make this clear, that Jesus is saying it very much, pretty, pretty well himself. This is the one thing we need. And maybe I would add to this, if it's truly something we need, I believe it's something we need daily. It's, it's a daily need. You know, the Bible says, uh, Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. In other words, uh, Sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof. Each day has its own challenges. Would you agree, yes or no? Yeah? Each day has its own challenges, which I am not surprised that God supplies new mercies every morning. Do you understand that each day has its challenge and God has a supply to meet those challenges each day? Could it be that our need for communion with God is a daily need to meet those challenges? Think about the things that you need every day. Think about those things that you need every day. Dora apparently needed breakfast every morning, all right? I concur. <laughs> Maybe you know what it's like to miss a meal, and, and you know that, well, for me, I, I just start shutting down, my mind just, you know, and, and I get cranky, I get easily angered, upset, etc., etc. You don't want to be around me when I miss a meal. I will make sure, I will make sure to change my schedule if I need to, in order to make my appointment for food. (laughs) You know what it's like. You will do whatever it takes to meet that need. Now, that's a physical need. That's a temporal need. But Jesus says, your spiritual need is time with me. And how is it that we can be so staunch and so active and so proactive in making sure that we get our physical meal And we are so easily lax about letting our spiritual meal wait for another time. Have you noticed that? It's really easy. You do it once, uh, and you feel kind of, oh, I know I should be back at this. But the next time it comes around, that hunger is gone, so to speak. And and friends, God, God just really longs for us to sit at the table with him day by day by day. We can make meals for Jesus, but Jesus' highest priority is to make a meal for you. Again, in the context of Luke chapter 10, like all this, these, these snapshots and pictures of people who are laboring for Jesus, people who are doing service for the king, people who are sharing the love of Jesus through practical acts of kindness. Friends, these all have their vital place, Amen.
We, we need to be laboring in the harvest. We need to be rejoicing in what we're doing for Jesus. We need to be good Samaritans. Are you with me? Yes. But check this out. For us to say that we don't need our time with Jesus is just as ridiculous as the branch saying, I need to bear fruit, but I could care less about my connection to the vine. Do you understand what's taking place there? Yeah. Yeah, it's impossible if that vital connection is non-existent. It's impossible to keep putting out fruit. And so, in the context of Luke 10, sure, maybe there are many things you need, sure. But in the context of serving Jesus, there is only one thing you really need. You don't need a litany to put on your spiritual resume saying, yeah, I've been involved in this ministry and that. I've done this and I've done that. Friends, what you really need is a vital connection with Jesus, and that's found sitting at his feet, hearing his word. Mary has chosen the good part. That's the bottom line. And the reason why I, 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 I gravitate towards this message right here, right for this time in our experience as a Parkwood Church family, uh, you know what? This last month of October, when we were doing our Prophecies of Hope seminar, I was so, um, what's the... <laughs> To, I'll, I'll try to put words to this, but I was so grateful to God for my church. I, I had people coming up to me during the Prophecies of Hope seminar and saying, Pastor, your church is working. Amen, they're working. There were people on the kitchen crew, parking lot crew, children's team, you know, greeters, registration, table hosts. We were working. And it was a blessing to see, uh, f- you know, full throttle, all systems go. Amen? Were you blessed by that? I was blessed to see it. I was blessed to be a part of it. But here's the thing. I, I was watching this, and I said, man, we, we can work. <laughs> we can work. And it, and it doesn't need to be just for a month at a time. Amen? I mean, not to say that we're going to have prophecies of hope just right around the corner. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that, look, you and I, we have been wired for ministry. You and I have been gifted with a a unique set of spiritual gifts and spiritual passions. And I would say even evangelism styles. Just as there are like multiple personality temperaments and things like this, I would say that there are evangelism styles as well. Each of us has a unique combination of those, and those gifts can be put to use for the Savior. Those gifts can be put to use in the harvest, right? Now, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm, I'm already brainstorming with Brooke and thinking of ways that we can, uh, we can, actually instruct and train and teach and unleash these unique sets of gifts for ministry. And, uh, you know, part of our vision statement, maybe you see it in the bulletin, it says, you know, our vision is to belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every member is valued and loved, thoroughly equipped, and joyfully involved in linking others to Christ. That's a vision worth pursuing, amen? Amen. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm not looking to be a part of a church where it's just a 20% of our congregation is actually joyfully involved in linking others to Christ. All right, that means 80% of, uh, you know, the rest of us are, are, are just really comfortable sitting in our pews. No, 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 no. This isn't what God has called us to do, to be disciples of Jesus. Amen? 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 Oh, man, I hope so. <laughs> Amen. Anyways, so, look, here's the point. I want to get there. I want to get to the point 
where we're able to, to train and equip and plug people in and unleash people for ministry. Look, I want to get there where we are looking at Luke chapter 10, sending the 70 out. The laborers are few, but the harvest is great. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth laborers in the harvest. I'm ready to see that realized. I want to be a part of that. But friends, we need to come down to ground zero. Because all the fruit bearing can never happen if you and I aren't connected to the vine. All the fruit bearing can be, we can cheerlead that, we can sponsor that, we can even perform it uh, in a way that externally it looks like it's successful. But we can be distracted by much service. And we can end up serving alone. That is, without the companionship of Jesus. Friends, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want to be spazzing out in ministry, <laughs> okay? And so here, here, here it comes. What can we do then? What can we do to make sure we choose the good part? Notice again, the operative word down in verse 42. You've got your Bibles open. Luke chapter 10, verse 42. This is really critical. But one thing is needed. That's the reality we focused on. The one thing is needed. And notice, Mary has chosen that good part. Your time with Jesus, your time with Jesus will never be taken away from you. That's why the rest of the verse says, Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Your time with Jesus, your ability to connect personal contact, your, your time to commune with the Savior will never be taken away from you. Can you say amen to that? It will never be robbed from you, but you can choose to give it away. And Mary... Jesus is holding up Mary as the prime example of one who didn't give it away. She actually chose it. Chose it. The word is ek lego. She's, she's speaking it and she's speaking it out. She's actually selecting it in a deliberative process. It's almost as if, you know, the context is preparing a meal. It's almost as if she's gone through the Thanksgiving line and she said, no, this is the best part. I want that. She chose it. She chose it. So here, we're going to get practical. Maybe you've got a list or you've got a paper that you can, you can write a little list on. Four practical pointers of how to choose your time with Jesus. Okay? Four practical pointers of how to choose to make time with Jesus. How do we choose this? How, how can I be like Mary and actually look through that line and, and, and choose the best meal for myself? How do I choose this? You ready? Four practical pointers. First, Choose to prioritize the time. Choose to prioritize the time. That means you could do many things, but you're choosing to make this the first thing. Remember that verse, Matthew 6, verse 33? It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you know what the rest of the verse says? And all these things shall be added unto you. You're looking at your day, you're thinking to yourself, man, I've got to be here, I've got to be there. I've got to prepare for this, I've got to, I've got to think about that. I've got to get this going, get this fire on, etc., etc., etc. Friends, those things will be added to you if you simply seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So choose to make it priority. Choose to make it priority. 
All right, so choose to prioritize the time. Second one is this, choose to plan for the time. Choose to plan for the time. Okay, so you said, yeah, I'll make it priority. I'll do it the first thing because, man, if I don't make it the first thing, it'll just never happen, right? <laughs> that, that's the whole thing about priority, by the way. You're making it the first thing. Um, yeah, so I'll back up a little bit. You're making it the first thing. In other words, if maybe you're like me. If, if you don't do that thing that's most important first, then you end up having to make time for it later, but then you never actually make time for it. Have you noticed that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So what if we actually made time for God the first thing, and then everything else we had to do? That's the stuff we have to find time for. Right? Wouldn't that reflect the priority? Seeking first the kingdom? Okay, so choose to prioritize the time. Choose to plan for the time. Choose to plan for the time. That means... I know this is my tendency, but if I don't have a plan for my vacation, or if I don't have a plan for, for this or a plan for that, it's not going to get done. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe, you, you know, you, you plan to do great things. Okay, yeah, Sunday it's going to be family day, but we don't have a plan. So then Sunday actually turns into cleaning the garage and doing this and doing that. Okay, maybe that's just my family, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. Choose to plan for it. okay. So here's my plan for my time with God. I know that when I get up and I prioritize that time, here's a general plan in my mind. Now, I realize that maybe there are certain personalities that resonate with mine that actually like to make a plan, and then there are certain personalities that are more like free bird and just kind of want to do your own thing. And that's totally cool, but just plan to be a free bird. Okay? Okay. <laughs> anyway, so here's my plan. When I get up, I start with praise. So I read a psalm, and I just zero in on, on one simple line in that psalm that just really allows me to praise God as my deliverer, my rock, whoever it is that, that the psalm is praising God for. I'm turning that into a praise too. And then I'll take time to focus on the cross. I'll read a story from either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John about when Jesus was going to the cross. Why? Because this takes me to the foot where everybody is on the same plane, that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I can present myself as being alive unto God as though I've been resurrected from the dead. And so that's my ground zero for me. I start with praise, and then I go to the cross. And then I have this reading plan that's ongoing. It's actually on my phone. Maybe some of you have seen reading plans like that, like a Bible app or whatever. Or maybe in the back of your Bible, by the way, if you got a seminar Bible from the Prophecies of Hope seminar, amen, you actually have a read through the Bible in a year plan in the back of that Bible. Anyways, find a reading plan, something that you can just kind of keep in the background so that, look, when I do have that time, I can read through this. This is where I'm going next. This is where I'm going next. So that's kind of my plan. And then, what I like to do to close things out is to intercede for people in prayer. I have a prayer list that I keep on my journal and things like that. So whatever your plan would be, choose to plan for it. That, that's all I'm saying. Choose to make a plan for it because otherwise we just go haphazardly about it and when we don't have a plan, we end up spending most of our time thinking of what we're going to do with our time with God. So, so choose to plan for the time. So we've got one, choose to prioritize the time. Two, choose to plan for the time. Here's three. Choose to get personal with God. Choose to get personal with God. That means when you're reading scripture or when you're praying, that it's genuinely a you and me conversation. When you're reading a story about Mary and Martha, put yourself in the story. And when God is saying, Martha, Martha, let yourself be spoken to by God. 
Godfrey, Godfrey, you are worried and troubled about many things. Does that make sense? Choose to get personal with God, okay? So choose to prioritize the time, choose to plan for the time, choose to get personal with God, and fourth, choose to get practical with the word. Choose to get practical with the word. So once you've put yourself in the story, this is the now what. You know, what am I going to do about this? Let God get real specific. Let God get, get you know, actually look at the things that are on your calendar for the day and let him give you practical, tangible counsel for that day. He'll do it. He'll do it if we actually take the time to listen to it. Amen. Yeah. Then we won't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. So, just in review, four practical pointers on how to choose your time with Jesus. Choose to prioritize. Choose to plan. Choose to get personal. And choose to get practical. Does that sound good? Yeah? Now, here's a simple question. Two questions, actually. Do you believe that Jesus actually knows what he's talking about when he says that you only need one thing? Do you believe that? Amen. Okay, if you believe that, what are you going to do to choose it? If you believe that Jesus is telling you the truth, (laughs) what are you going to do to choose it? Of those four things, choosing to prioritize, choosing to plan, choosing to get personal, or choosing to get practical, which of those four things do you, this week, want to take home today and say, look, I'm going to choose it this week. I'm going to choose to get really practical in my time with the Word. I'm going to choose to, to, uh, to really let Him speak to my specific situations. I want you to just think on this for the next 30 seconds or so. Maybe the Holy Spirit is already, like, in your mind, you're circling one of those four practical pointers and saying, look, that's for me, that's for me. So which of those four? Which of those four? Next Sabbath, I want to hear. I want to hear. This is your, your take-home challenge. Can we do that? Yeah? This is your take-home challenge. Don't consider it homework because homework, anyways, this is your take-home challenge. Next week, I want to hear how it was that you took this challenge and made it happen in your real life. Can we do that? Yeah? All right. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that this time that we will have with you this week will not be taken away from us. No man, no situation, no scheme of, 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 of earth will ever rob us from our ability to commune with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just make us faithful to choose to take that time with you. Father, I thank you so much that, that even in the midst of our, even in the midst of our uh, self-appointed distractions, Lord, even in the midst of our, of our uh, ministries, you long to draw near to us. Father, please forgive us. Forgive us for being our own God. Forgive us for bailing our own ship. Forgive us for thinking we're doing your will when we're really doing our own. Forgive us for serving alone. And Father, this week we pray that you would bring us down to ground zero, that day by day, morning by morning, that you would actually carve out time with us. And I pray that you would fulfill that promise you said in James chapter 4, it says, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So Lord, the next week when we come back together, I pray that we would have stories to tell of how you did prioritize the time, how you did give us a plan, how you did make things personal and get real practical with us. Lord, thank you in advance for doing that. We want 
this one need to be satisfied. Thank you. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen, amen.